The reading of the Scriptures from Isaiah 56, verses 1 to 8. So hear the word of the Lord with reverence and joy and in faith. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. In the Old Covenant, uh, exclusion and segregation were part of uh, priestly temple worship. There were just certain classes of people and ethnicities that could not come and engage in the worship of God in the temple as well as the tabernacle, uh, foreshadowing uh, the temple. But something radically happens that changes all of that. And that is, of course, the coming of the servant son. Uh, and that as we focus upon what the servant son does, we understand the greatness of the grace of God that now none are excluded uh, who come to faith in Jesus Christ from engaging in worship of the temple. And it is this that is before us this morning in the 56th chapter of uh, the prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, This text uh, begins, I believe, in a structural sense, the final section of the prophet, and it encompasses the grace of God in raising up a righteous remnant. Uh, By that I mean uh, national and ethnic Israel is going to fail, but God will not fail. He's going to raise up a righteous remnant. Uh, in a new creation and affect uh, restoration in that new creation. And that encompasses, again, Isaiah 56, uh, verse 1 through uh, Isaiah 66. Uh, What is interesting about uh, this last final section uh, in the grace of God, restoration, the new creation, is that the section begins and ends with those previously excluded from worship. 
in the reading of the text, I trust you picked up on the foreigner as well as the eunuch. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 66 and look at verse uh, verse 18, For I know their works and their thoughts, that the time is coming together, all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. Again, he picks up with the foreigner, all the nations. So it's a dramatic shift away again from the nation of Israel uh, to all the nations. It's not to exclude Israel, but it's encompassing the grace of God in the fullness of the restoration of the new creation uh, to turning to all the nations. Look, look as well down to the 21st verse. I will also take some of them for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. That's an incredible act of the grace of God because again, in the old covenant, it was the, it was the Levites, uh, family of Aaron that engaged in the worship. And now that door is open to all the nations. So that something radical has occurred. What is that? The servant son, Christ. Uh, this text in that sense begins to tell us about the time of the coming of the servant son in which the grace of God goes beyond the nation uh, through the work of the servant son to gathering of the nations and they come as priests to serve the worship of God. Uh, in returning to our chapter this morning, uh, blessings of God are invoked upon true worship in verses 1 and 2. And then blessings uh, include those previously forbidden at worship in verses 3 to 7. And then finally, the grace of God, he's going to make it happen. He's going to accomplish it. Uh, and we'll see that and how God accomplishes it. Uh, namely, those previously forbidden uh, are now beckoned to come because of the grace of God, the new creation. Compasses, does it not something of our own National history as Americans. Grace of God. Think of the grace of God in the South, Reconstruction. Uh, the attempts by, for example, Ulysses Grant to include all in government, in voting. What happens in the South? What does the church in the South do? Interesting questions, are they not? This text is the answer of what God has done and what it means for all in the worship of God. Uh, not just uh, our own history as Americans, but all over the world. Uh, so we begin with the divine blessings uh, on true worship. Verses 1 and 2. And true worship, of course, includes preparation for the coming of the servant son. And so the prophet says, uh, preserve justice and do righteousness for my salvation is about to come. In other words, we prepare our hearts for the coming of the servant, the great act of the grace of God. Uh, and we prepare our hearts in preserving justice and in doing righteousness. Because salvation is near. Uh, the, the imperatives of preserve justice and do righteousness, in my own understanding, are parallel to the great call in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Prepare the way of the Lord. The servant is about to come. Prepare your hearts. Get ready by doing justice and doing righteousness. It's also a common theme of this text. It's mentioned twice uh, that we uh, we engage in true worship, which includes 
a proper understanding of the Sabbath. Again, a controversial uh, topic in our culture. Uh, what does it mean to preserve uh, the Sabbath and not to profane the Sabbath? We have, for example, whole denominations, Seventh-day Adventists, that worship God on Saturday, the Sabbath. Uh, but again, we read in the book of Acts of the church worshiping God on the first day of the week because of the resurrection. Uh, we also read, of course, of, uh, of churches and their presumed outreach to the world of uh, engaging in the electronic church. You don't need to come to church, partake of the sacraments, uh, hear the word of the Lord. You can do that at your home. I don't know how you partake of the sacraments at home, but it's going to become more and more popular today. I just uh, I stay at home. I, I worship God uh, through uh, uh, modern day technology, and uh, modern day technology is the church comes to me in my home. The sacraments, well, God will get over it. He'll understand. Here again. True worship engages a proper view of the Sabbath. My own understanding, uh, one day was set aside for rest in imitation of the creation ordinance, Genesis 2, verses 2 to 3, that God rested having finished his works. It breaks upon us as Christians because Christ, when he ascended to the throne, he sat down at the right hand of the Father having finished the work of reconciliation and redemption. And he inaugurated, of course, the end-time eternal rest for his people. The Sabbath rest has begun in the work of Christ. And that we keep a Sabbath rest in worship on the first day of the week as a continuation of the creation ordinance as we prepare and look forward to complete eschatological rest in eternity. Certainly caution you... Uh, as a Christian, of having a low view of uh, public worship where God's people gather to celebrate the grace of God and to participate in the sacraments which uh, he ordained. Let's look at a couple of texts. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 4. And uh, reading uh, verses 9 to 11. There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as Christ did from his, referencing Christ. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience, namely the disobedience of the nation of Israel. That Christ has inaugurated the Sabbath rest, and we continue to remember and participate in that rest by following the creation ordinance of Genesis chapter 2. Uh, the author of the book of Hebrews uh, references a measure of this uh, in the 10th chapter, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. You can't do that by staying at home. You gather with the people of God to encourage them, to strengthen them, to advance the faith, stimulating them to love and to good works. Now notice what follows. Not forsaking our own assembling together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
So we come following the creation ordinance that God rested from the physical creation. Christ rested from the spiritual creation. Uh, We continue that as we gather publicly to hear the word and participate in the sacraments. We do not forsake it as is the habit of some. Another reminder of this in the final book of the Bible, Revelation uh, chapter 14, the 13th verse. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. Total, complete eschatological rest in the presence of God in heaven. We've rested from our works. It's begun in Christ be completed for us in heaven. Uh, but again, the inauguration of this great uh, eschatological event, the Sabbath rest of the people of God. Begun in Christ, completed, I think, in the uh, heavens and the glory of God. And this faithful observance defines us as the people of God as we celebrate that Christ rested from his work of redemption and salvation And as well, as I've mentioned, we keep his sacraments. So true worship prepares us for the eternal glory of God. And true worship engages meeting with the church publicly to stimulate the body of Christ, to acknowledge the greatness of God, hearing the word, participating in the sacraments. And those things will always be important and they will always define the true people of God. The blessings of grace, uh, verses 3 to 7, does something that's radical. Uh, Namely, it engages those previously excluded from worship. It's an interesting concept, but again... The Old Covenant, there were some that were excluded from participating in worship. If we broaden that out by way of application, uh, sometimes uh, people might say, I've been so evil, God could never accept me. I'm excluded forever. Uh, Or Sometimes we get uh, down on ourselves and we say, well, I'm just going to exclude myself. I'm not worthy to go to church, so I'll just uh, de facto exclude myself. Again, this text begins to reach out in a way to engage those that under the Old Covenant have been previously excluded, segregated. They were disallowed from coming. God's going to act in a special way. And it intensifies for us as Christians the importance of the work of Christ and the the drama of what it means that Christ came to redeem his people and what he did in his coming. That segregation in the Old Covenant, of course, excluded the uh, the foreigner, uh, the Gentile proselyte. Even in the days of Jesus, as you know, uh, the temple worship in Jerusalem, they could, they could uh, enter the court of the Gentiles, but they could proceed no further. Uh, upon the pains of death, by the way, uh, they had to stay in the court of the Gentiles. They could not participate. Uh, with the nation of Israel and the full worship of God. Uh, the text here also represents uh, the eunuch. But, but we could go beyond that to the leper. 
The leper was excluded. Uh, we, uh, we sometimes conjure up things in our own minds that we might think that would exclude us. Uh, perhaps we've done something so evil that uh, not even the cross <laughs> could pay the price and, uh, and cleanse us. Uh, again, uh, God's going to speak uh, to the marvels of his grace as he does something that had uh, previously been forbidden, uh, namely the coming of foreigners, the coming of lepers, the coming of, of, uh, of a eunuch uh, to participate in the worship of God, the temple of God. Radical change, grace of God in the servant son. Uh, let's look at a text that illustrates uh, this notion of exclusion. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 1 to 3. No one who is emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of his descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. I mean, that, that's radical exclusion, segregation, prejudice, if you will. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord to the tenth generation. Again, that's, that's going to change. Uh, because now God invites the foreigner to come, uh, the eunuch to come. Isaiah chapter 56. Following hard after the great prophecies of the coming of the servant of the Lord that you and I know as Jesus Christ. He affects a radical change. And those that were previously excluded and forbidden to come are now embraced and gathered the grace of God. The importance of Christ. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 3, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. Sometimes we, we say in our hearts that, Well, God would never want me. What could I do for the glory of God? Or perhaps we might say something to the effect that I've done something so evil that God, God could never embrace me in divine love and sweep me into his kingdom as a son of God. Uh, I have nothing to offer. You know, why go to church? Uh, can't sing. Can't understand. Uh, I have nothing to offer, why should I go? I, mean, I don't know what reasons people conjure up as, uh, as not participating, uh, but God does something remarkable here. Uh, he gathers that which had previously been excluded and he embraces them in worship, the foreigner and the eunuch, the leper, and so many others. I do, of course, remind you that... Uh, if you place some spiritual ban upon yourself, I mean, you are never worthy. You can never do anything to make yourself worthy, but in grace, he makes you so. That's the whole point of the cross. The whole point of the coming of the great servant son to redeem his people and to look at those whom he redeems. It's a marvelous lesson of the grace of God 
and uh, a great change that uh, that's about to occur in redemptive history. Uh, that in grace, you don't qualify yourself. He qualifies you. He qualifies you so that you can come and participate and engage and be a priest before the great God of heaven. Verses 4 to 5, we uh, the prophet picks up with the eunuch, uh, and he gives a reason for the change in administration. Uh, again, we read a text in Deuteronomy where the eunuch was previously excluded. He could not come. He was forbidden to come. Now what has happened that he can come and that God will embrace him? Uh, the administration of the grace of God. Well, again, it's the servant son. The prophecies of the servant son. So that the eunuch who keeps Sabbath and chooses what pleases God and hold fast the covenant are given a great promise. Let's look at the promise, verse 5. To them I will give in my house. Notice, in my house. Previously excluded. Now God gives to them in the house of the Lord. And within my walls. Notice, within my walls. They are now gathered by the grace of God. Previously excluded. Segregated. Now they're gathered. They come into the temple. They can worship God. I will give him a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name which shall not be cut off. Reference uh, to memorial uh, is most likely a provision of the grace of God in light of the fact that they have no children to carry on their family name. Uh, but God gives them a perpetual name now. Marvelous expression of the grace of God. He gives them a memorial that will carry forth their name. Notice again, within the house of God, they are given an everlasting name. That their name will be carried on. They are fully integrated now in the worship of God. Previously excluded, forbidden to come, now gathered. The coming of Christ is a radical event, teaches us about His grace and what the church should look like. Notice uh, there's a play on words here. I won't expand upon it a great deal, but I trust you can see the play on words in light of the reading of Deuteronomy chapter 23. I'll give them an everlasting name which shall not be cut off. Promise to the unit. Perpetual name in light of its physical condition. The grace of God has now acted in a radical way through Jesus Christ. This reference to a new name uh, is alluded to by uh, the Apostle John, the book of the Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter uh, 2, uh, 17th verse. To him who overcomes... To him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows, but he receives it. Uh, it's also alluded to by John in Revelation chapter 3, the 12th verse. To him who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write upon him the name of my God. In the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God in my new name. Again, John is alluding to 
uh, Isaiah chapter 56, in the name of God. Uh, the context uh, are divine promises uh, to the people of God. Notice uh, over and over again, I read, God says, I will give, I will give. The great God who gives grace to his people. And they get a new name, meaning a new status as the sons of God, heirs of everlasting life. In Revelation 2.17, the stone is a reference to a vote of acquittal. They're acquitted of all of their sins, set free because of the majesty of the work of the Son of God. There's a phrase that we, we occasionally use in our culture. It's the word blackball. Uh, someone who is cast out of an organization, kicked out, blackballed. Uh, those who have come to God through the Savior Jesus Christ have a new status, never blackballed, never ever cast out. They have a new name and a new status as the sons of God. Uh, the name speaks to the presence of God's curing uh, entrance into eternity. And it's the greatest promise of all time. Those who belong to the Son, never blackballed from heaven. Accomplished, of course, by the work of Jesus Christ. This, this sense of permanence, I think, is intensified in the promise of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. That God will make us a pillar in the temple of my God. Again, harken back to the context of Isaiah 56, the foreigner and the eunuch. Or extend it to others that were rejected like the leper. Now, they're made a, a pillar in the temple of God. They once were far, far away, excluded. No hope, but now they're brought near by the grace of God. And I shall write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. Again, referencing the permanence of what God does uh, to his people who are defined by persevering in the faith. In other words, the eunuch once rejected is now accepted and made secure, as well as the foreigner. And Isaiah picks up in verses 6 to 7 with the foreigner. Uh, who join, minister, love, and keep the Sabbath, and hold fast God's covenant. Uh, God, again, prophet Isaiah says, God will, will bring them into his holy mountain and accept their sacrifices. They become participants. The old covenant was only, only the tribe of Levi, only the family of Aaron. But now it's even the foreigner that can participate in sacrificial worship of God. Uh, it says that they uh, that they minister. Uh, verse six to minister to him, to serve him. Uh, it's a word that was used to the priests that served God in the tabernacle and the temple. Now foreigners are doing it. What could what could cause such a radical change? Well, the radicalness of the gift of the Son of God to atone. Uh, for the sins of his people. So that now foreigners could, could participate at worship. 
Now, the reason for all of this, uh, the prophet says, my, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But notice what follows for all the people. Isaiah 56, 7. Uh, as you know, uh, Jesus uh, cites this text, Matthew 21. Uh, if you have any New Testaments, I encourage you to turn there. Matthew chapter 21. Jesus cites Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7 as a reason for the cleansing of the temple. It's really the second cleansing of the temple. We know John chapter 2, another cleansing of the temple. One at the beginning of our Lord's public ministry and now one at the end. Jesus cleansing the temple because of what it had become. The Levites had made the court of the Gentiles a commercial zone thereby preventing Gentiles from coming to worship. Again, they were selling animals and changing money, taking up the court of the Gentiles, so the Gentiles had had no place to go. And so Christ cleanses the temple of this commercial activity so the Gentiles can come, signaling the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 56 and that those who were previously excluded can now come and fully participate in the worship of the one true God through Christ the Son. Reason for the cleansing is an act of judgment because of what the Levites had turned uh, the temple into, a place of exclusion of the Gentiles when God all along was going to act to include them. And so that God in Jesus is now gathering all without distinction as part of the end-time restoration And so Jesus drives the ungodly out so the Gentiles can come in. The event, in that sense, is prophetic. And Jesus is fulfilling it. Notice notice in Matthew chapter 21 what follows the cleansing of the temple. In verse 14, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So that the the blind and the lame knew what Jesus was doing. The great gift of the servant son, they can now come. And they come to Jesus, the true temple, and he heals them. The astounding event of the worship of God, of those previously excluded, are now gathered. Great act of, uh, of the grace of God. The blind and the lame now know that the doors are open to them. They need grace. He gives it. That's what God excels at, the giving of grace. The temple is now a place of revival, which was the divine intent all along. And Jesus inaugurates it. It's interesting when you think of it in those terms. uh, uh, How there can be, for example, a church sitting on the sidelines and Reconstruction, United States of America and the South. Interesting question. Uh, but just simply means that we need to uh, do as Jesus did. Fully understand what the gospel means. That the doors of the gospel are open to those that were previously excluded. That all uh, should be gathered into the church. Uh, and the church should look like heaven. What does heaven look like? What we know from Revelation chapter 5, 
He came and purchased with His blood men from all tribe, tongue, peoples, and nations. That's what the church in heaven looks like. What ought the church on the earth look like? Just like the church in heaven. All tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. Where none are excluded. The eunuchs are now gathered. The foreigners are now gathered and they can participate in the worship of God as Levites. Prophecy of Isaiah 66. Of course, it's, it's very true in a, in, in, in sense of the scriptures that we honor, we honor all men and women because they're created in the image of God. world struggles with that, but the church should not. We understand what it means to be created in the image of God, and all have been created in the image of God. Therefore, we should honor and respect all. We should give deference to all. And we unite with all saved by Christ in true worship in light of the gospel. Again, the church on earth should mirror the church in heaven all tribes, tongue, people, and nations. So the prophet Isaiah is, is giving us a word that God's going to do something radical. And that radical event occurs for us in the coming of Christ. Uh, let's look at some illustrations of this uh, in, in the Gospels and the book of Acts. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 10 uh, Pardon me, Matthew chapter 8. Verse 10, there's a centurion. There's a sick servant. He goes to Christ. Now, remind you of something, a centurion. Roman, uh, high-ranking Roman uh, soldier. The Jews despised the Romans. They occupied their land. (laughs) They wanted their land back. Uh, they saw Romans as interlopers. Uh, but the centurion comes and God gives him grace and heals his servant. Uh, showing that even centurions can come. Come to Christ. Be recipients of the grace of God. Now, one of my favorite accounts is John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. Uh, the Jews... Uh, despised the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. If you want to study real prejudice, go look at the prejudice of the Jews to the Samaritans. To say nothing of the fact that she was a woman and a woman of, shall we say, checkered morality. And Jesus embraces her. A Samaritan. A woman. uh, With a checkered past. The grace of God. Marvels of the grace of God swept into the kingdom of Christ. Uh, She becomes a witness and many Samaritans come to Jesus. Again, John chapter 4. The power of the gospel and Christ receives them all. We should be very careful, should we not, in the church of thinking that someone is a Samaritan. Uh, Christ accepted Embraced and saved. Uh, 
book of Acts, uh, chapter 8. Verse 27. It's a great, great story of Philip. And uh, he goes and uh, there's an Ethiopian marvel of marvels, a eunuch, court official, uh, in charge of all her treasure, he came to Jerusalem to worship. He's reading the prophecy of Isaiah. Philip explains the prophecy to him. The eunuch wishes to be baptized and Philip baptizes him. The fulfillment, if you will, of the events of the coming of a eunuch, the grace of God. Fulfillment, I think, of Isaiah 56. You be very careful about excluding people given the majesty of the grace of God, because here is a man that was formerly shut out, now a participant. He comes to Jesus, who is the true temple, and he's embraced and baptized to the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision to go to the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Uh, And... uh, Peter learns of the grace of God that God overturns the Jewish dietary laws. They no longer hold because of the coming of Christ. Peter had to learn that lesson. Again, great revival occurs. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Peter says, You yourself know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Radical change. What's the cause? The coming of Christ. The gathering of foreigners. The overturning of Jewish dietary laws. Verses 44, 45. While Peter was still speaking the words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message, and all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon Gentiles also. Previously excluded, now embrace the Spirit of God falling upon them. Reminder to us, be very careful. We should honor all men because they're created in the image of God, but we should honor all who have been saved by Christ, embrace them, encourage them in love and good works, majesty of the grace of God. The end-time promise of the gathering of Gentiles is now occurring, and those formerly excluded are brought near. The Apostle Paul, in a radical sense, uh, teaches us the reality of this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing law. Uh, that part of the law which previously had separated Gentile from Jew has now been torn down. They're one. Now one. Equality. Uh, I mean, I'm not unmindful of... Uh, Bad events in American history, segregation, exclusion. Uh, Government gets involved in writing laws. Church doesn't need that. We have the gospel. 
teaches us to be otherwise, to embrace in the church all who have been saved by Christ, that none are excluded. Uh, the majesty of the gospel. Oftentimes, uh, we forget the cross and what it means uh, to all of us. Again, we should, we should image what heaven looks like. And again, as I suggested, Revelation 5 verse 10, heaven is filled with people of all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. That's what the church should look like because of the work of Christ. It's interesting that Isaiah, returning back to Isaiah chapter 56, uh, concludes uh, with the work of the Lord. Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers to dispersed of Israel, declares, yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. That God's going to go beyond Israel to gather the nations, to plunder them, uh, including lepers, eunuchs, the lame, the blind, the sick, uh, people who are eaten up with the guilt of sin. The grace of God gathers them to participate in, in worship. Now, I, I love... Uh, I love uh, the subject. Verse 8, I will gather to them, to those already gathered. God's going to do it. How does he do it? Well, we know the servant son, coming of Christ, the majesty, the greatest gift of all time, the gift of the son. The time of exclusion is uh, over. Uh, the church fully Integrated. Uh, certainly, uh, one of the great expressions of that is John, John chapter 10. Great chapter on, on the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And so the church is this radical institution uh, which is filled with all men uh, without any distinction whatsoever. All are embraced. All are equal. Uh, all are welcome. And the many, the many are made one uh, by Christ, the Savior and the Redeemer. I know there's this grand argument in our in our country uh, about boundaries and citizenship and exclusion. Uh, this is of a different realm, totally different realm. It's the kingdom of God. It's the majesty of the grace of God. There are no boundaries. None are excluded. All are brought near, all are welcomed, and all that are saved by Christ and His blood are made one in Him. The world is always going to argue about prejudice, discrimination. That argument will never end. That's just simply the way it is in the world. But not in the church. Because of the radical work that Christ has done. Of taking us all and making us one.
I'm, I'm not an expert in, in understanding most of you, but I think most of you are Gentiles. I think. If I'm wrong, you could you can uh, rebuke me after the service. Uh, uh, Old Covenant, you couldn't participate in the worship of God. Even in the days of Jesus, you, you were held in the court of the Gentiles. But now in Christ, the dividing wall has been torn down. We fuller, we fully participate. Uh, we, we are all priests of God. We're all engaged in provoking one another to love and to good works. We honor all. We embrace all uh, because of Christ and what he did for us. Uh, would be my prayer that we understand the reality of this, uh, the grace of God. And that Grace Bible Church uh, look like heaven, uh, act like heaven, because uh, heaven is radically different from the world. Uh, we don't have to engage in its arguments about boundaries and prejudice and exclusion and inclusion and uh, segregation and integration. God has changed all that for us in Jesus Christ. And uh, let us embrace him fully. All that that means, that all are equal and the many, the many are made one. And uh, we should be thankful that he has included us by the cross uh, in this great, greatest of all institutions that looks like heaven because of the work of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of his people.